Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Uh, before uh, we we jump into the sermon this morning, uh, we I called a bit of an audible, and we we decided to do communion together. Uh, and so, at the end of uh, my sermon, uh, after the final worship song, there's going to be a time where we take communion together. And so, I would encourage you if you have uh, any bread or crackers or something like that on hand, wherever you're watching. You can take a moment to grab that, uh, something to drink. If you don't have uh, grape juice, that's okay. Find uh, something else to drink. Uh, and then we're going to have a time together uh, to take communion at the end of the service. And I look forward to doing that uh, with you shortly. Good morning, SunWest. Welcome back to Church at Home or wherever you're watching this. I know a number of you have been watching together with other families, with your groups. Uh, and that's been, it's been awesome and it's been great to see over these last six months how uh, we have a church have stayed connected together uh, even when we can't be physically together. Uh, and uh, we're excited to be physically together uh, soon as we restart our services on September 20th, which is next Sunday. Um, and it's going to look a lot, uh, a lot different than it has in the past. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, but we are uh, getting ready for regathering next Sunday uh, for those who are ready. Uh, and if you're not ready, that's totally fine. We're going to continue to have church at home. And, um, but some of you are, are ready to, to re-engage and regather in person. Uh, and we're preparing to do that. We would just ask that you go to the web and pre-register for Sunday. Uh, it's under the events tab. You can go in there and just let us know uh, that you're coming and how many are coming with you. Uh, and we can prepare our space. Uh, and so we look uh, forward to, to seeing you next Sunday. We had a great uh, day yesterday uh, getting ready uh, at our work beat, getting the space ready. Uh, and uh, yeah, things are, things are moving along. Uh, so we'll see some of you soon. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a Vision Sunday. We finished our Mark series a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and at the beginning of June, we took a break in Mark and we had a Vision Sunday to talk about what summer was going to look like in light of everything going on in our world. Uh, and I think it's time to talk about uh, uh, vision a little bit again as we uh, head out of summer and we're starting fall. Uh, many of you had had your kids going back to school here in the last, last week. And uh, things are changing again. And so uh, we're, we're getting ready for that this fall. We want to talk a little bit about that. So I'm talking about penguins and crabs. Uh, today and uh, we'll see if I can tie uh, those two in uh, to to the Bible and to our, our SunWest vision uh, and so I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you uh, what I feel like the Lord is laying on my heart. Uh, when I was a kid I loved uh, the nature channels, I loved National Geographic. I don't know if uh, for you if you're into that kind of thing but you know for me when there's when there's nature uh, channel on TV or uh, the National Geographic shows and there's animals and uh, geography and space. Like I just loved watching that stuff. I was infatuated uh, with it when I was a kid. So I loved learning about lions and tigers and bears and rainforests and oceans and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I remember uh, when I uh, would watch TV and I would learn about penguins and there'd be videos of penguins on the TV and uh, it, it often looked uh, something like this. It was a, it was a scene uh, uh, talking about the penguins in the Arctic or the Antarctic. And, uh, and lots of snow, not a whole lot behind uh, 
the penguins, not a whole lot of context in the picture, but uh, they would explain that the penguins, and often they would talk about the emperor penguin. And the emperor penguin was the biggest of all of the penguins. Uh, there was the emperor penguin, there was the king penguin, and then there was other penguins. Uh, and I remember looking and watching these just being uh, infatuated with these uh, animals that I'd only ever seen and experienced on a television screen. Uh, and these big birds uh, that were in uh, the Arctic. And I actually thought, uh, and this is full confession, shows my ignorance, but I actually thought that these were human-sized animals. And you could laugh at me, but if you look at the picture here, uh, and this was the type of scene that I would always see on TV, uh, you don't see any other animals, you don't see uh, landscape, you don't see trees, it's just like this barren Arctic land with only penguins in the scene. And, uh, and my imagination told me that these, these things were, were human-sized. Like I would picture myself like standing among these penguins and they would be my height uh, as a kid. That's how, that's how uh, big I thought they were. And then I went a few years ago to the Calgary Zoo because they had penguins uh, in, at the zoo. And so went to the zoo and the scene that I was met with looked something like this. And I, <laughs> I remember uh, talking uh, to Lisa and I was like, oh, these are cute little penguins. Uh, and I remember even, even asked people, like, where are the emperor penguins? Like, where, uh, where are the big penguins? Like, the ones that I saw when I was a kid. And, uh, and the response that I got was, uh, these are them. I said, well, I thought they were, I thought they were human size. I thought they were like five feet tall, six feet tall. Um, and, uh, and Lisa laughed at me and like, are you serious? Uh, and, <laughs> uh, but if you think back to the previous picture you saw, uh, when it was just the penguins, there was nothing else in the screen that gave me context. Uh, that's where my thoughts went. That's what I imagined. That's what I thought was reality. And then I put human beings in the picture. When I saw them in the context of having actual humans in the picture, everything changed. My perspective changed, my understanding changed, my paradigm of what I thought penguins were and how big they were, everything changed. And uh, we're gonna come back to that uh, in a second. Uh, but I wanna uh, jump off of a passage uh, from uh, a minor prophet in the Old Testament from the book of, uh, his name is Haggai. There's a book called Haggai in the Old, in the Old Testament. And there's a story uh, in Ezra and Haggai uh, that I've gone back to a number of times through the years when I think about uh, leadership and change uh, and, and God's calling on his people. And in my devotions uh, about a month or so ago, uh, my, my regular reading uh, schedule brought me back into Haggai and I, and I read uh, up the passage again in Haggai chapter 2. And here's a little bit of the context in Haggai chapter 2 in 587 B.C., uh, the Babylonians uh, came and conquered uh, Jerusalem and the Israelites and they, they took them captive into exile and brought them into Babylon. Uh, and they were held captive there for about 70 years. Uh, and uh, eventually uh, Babylon was conquered by Persia. And in 520, uh, when the Persians were ru ruling, they allowed the Israelites to go back to their homeland. And so some of them returned to Jerusalem. Uh, and, uh, and they began to remake the life they had there before their, their exile. Uh, 
And so we see Haggai the prophet um, speaking and encouraging uh, the people in that context uh, in his book. And so in Haggai chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. So Zerubbabel was uh, kind of the guy who was coordinating the rebuilding of the temple. And so uh, in uh, 587 BC, sorry, 587 BC, when uh, the Babylonians conquered, they destroyed the temple. So the temple was destroyed, people were in exile. Zerubbabel uh, was kind of coordinating the rebuilding of the temple, uh, and Haggai was, was a prophet at that time. Uh, Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And so there were some people that were around when the temple, with the previous temple, before it was demolished, and they could remember uh, you know, the life the way that it was. There's a cross-reference to that story in the book of Ezra. And here's, here's what it says. Here's what's happening. It says, All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the other older, older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. No one could distinguish the sounds of shouts from the sounds of joy. And here we, we have a, a scene and a picture where the people of God uh, were polarized in what they were feeling and experiencing and seeing in the world around them. They were on different sides of the spectrum. The whole spectrum of responses, of emotions, of reactions, of opinions, it's polarizing. Uh, what do you think? How do you feel? Where's God in this? What do you think about the decisions that our leaders are making? Uh, should, we, should they have done this? Should they have built it this way? Should they have tried replicated what was before? You know, this is the scene at the beginning of the temple. And people uh, that had been there previously wanted things to return back to the way that they were and they were grieving and weeping and disappointed. And those who had maybe not lived life the way that it uh, was before probably uh, were ignorant. They didn't understand what was lost. Uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't have a connection to the past. They didn't have that corporate history. Uh, and, and maybe they just seemed like dreamers and optimists. And, you know, so you had people all over the spectrum trying to uh, make sense of what they believed, how they were feeling, their history, their experiences, uh, and what the future was looking like. And so we have this spectrum, this polarizing spectrum, people rejoicing, people weeping. If we go back to the, the Haggai reference um, in ver chapter 2, verse 4. He says, uh, so this is Haggai speaking to the people at this time. Everybody's all over the spectrum. He says, be strong. But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, 
declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spear remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, which is the the Shekinah glory of God, the Spirit of God, I will fill this house again with my spirit, with my glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And if you follow closely what Haggai is saying in chapter 2, he is giving... Uh, a commandment and telling the people, this is what you are to do. This is what you're to focus on. And then he goes on to say, this is what the Lord will do. You should do this and God will do this. And I think sometimes we get the job descriptions mixed up between what our job is and what God's job is. And and God's job is that he is going to uh, take care of what's happening in the world. He is going to... uh, You know, he is going to grant peace. He is going to fill the earth and fill the temple with his presence, with his glory. He is going to show up and he is going to do things that only God can do. Uh, But what are you to do, people of God? Well, you are to be strong. That's the first thing that Haggai tells them, to be strong. And he says it a couple times, be strong, be strong. He's speaking to the leaders. He's speaking to the people, be strong. And often uh, in the Old Testament, it says, be strong. You'll find uh, a second phrase that says, be strong and courageous. I think those two go together. Be courageous, be strong and courageous. And then it ends in that, that section where he's telling the people what to do. It says, do not fear, be strong, be courageous. Don't fear, don't fear. And then the second thing he says is to do the work, to keep working. And what is he referring to? Well, he's referring to working at rebuilding the temple. You know, rebuild the temple, build it up. And the temple in the old place in the Old Testament was the place where God connected with humanity. This is the place where heaven and earth met. It was the place that people would go to to get close to God. And so that was the intersection between heaven and earth in the Old Testament was the temple. And in that temple was the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory of God, which is referred to in Haggai, is dwelling in a unique way on earth. So prepare that space. I mean, you can't fill the space with God's spirit. That's the thing that he's going to do. But you can prepare the space for what God wants to do. So get to work in preparing the ground and preparing the environment for God uh, to show up. Now, there's a a switch that happens. We talked about this in the Mark series, if you remember, on the weeks that we talked about the temple. Uh, The temple, understanding the Old Testament and the New Testament, is different. The way everything was set up in the Old Testament changes in in the New Testament. Jesus challenges the temple system. The temple was a unique place where God showed up, where heaven met earth, where the Spirit of God was dwelling. And then the temple is destroyed. It's going to be destroyed another time in 70 A.D., Again, and Jesus says at that time uh, that the temple, uh, that his body is the temple uh, and that his body is the unique place where the glory of God, the spirit of God is working. And then through the death and resurrection of Jesus, after that we have Pentecost where God sends his spirit 
and fills the church, fills God's people with his spirit. And then what do we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is that Paul refers to the church, which is the people of God, as the temple. And so I've reflected on this, and, and I would ask myself, if, if Haggai was talking today, if God was speaking this message today, we have polarizing uh, opinions and perspectives. Things are all over, uh, people are all over the map. Um, and God would say, there's, only, there's some things that only I can do, and there's some things that I'm asking you to do. And I think he would still tell us today to be strong and courageous and to keep working. But except today we're not building a physical temple. No, what does it mean for us today to build God's temple? I think it actually means to build up the body of Christ, to build up other people, to be edifying to one another, to put our hands to the plow, not to build a physical structure or system or temple or church building. You know, God is not interested in a church building, but he's interested in his people. And we need to get to work at encouraging, at edifying, at building up the people of God. And to also be mindful that the temple is the place where heaven and earth met, which means that the temple was the place of worship. And so right there, we come back to the greatest commandment that Jesus gives and the second greatest commandment, that our job, our work to do is actually to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to worship God, and to love our neighbor as ourselves to get to work, to build the temple, to worship God, and to edify, encourage, and build up one another. I've seen a quote uh, recently that's been going around. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he wrote an essay about how to live in an atomic age. Uh, and it's been coming back around because it's so timely, I think, uh, to what's going on in our world right now. And this is what C.S. Lewis said uh, a, quite a long time ago, in the 1940s, I think, uh, at some point. Uh, so he says, uh, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in the atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we, we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep, and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds.
I love this quote. And I want to be very clear. What C.S. Lewis is not saying is uh, the atomic bomb is a hoax. The atomic bomb doesn't exist. Uh, there's no wisdom to be had with the atomic bomb. He's not saying any of those things. He's saying this is a reality. Yes, it is. There's, there's many other frightening realities among us. But what he's saying is that is not the main thing that we as the people of God ought to be focusing and spending our energy thinking and worrying about. Let us worry about the things that God is calling us to do. In a world of, of pol polarity, where we're all over the spectrum, and the pandemic, the economy, whether we should or shouldn't be wearing masks, whether we're losing our rights and our freedoms, or whether it's wise, whether, you know, opinions about education, opinions about politics, uh, you know, the, the conversation that's happening again around race, uh, you know, opinions about justice and what that ought to look like, opinions about faith and religion and belief. You know, there is people all over the map right now. Uh, and I uh, confess and I declare that I am not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not uh, an economist. I am not a politician. I am not an expert on pandemics. I am a pastor. That is my job. That is my vocation. That is what God has called me to do. Uh, I'm a pastor in a faith family that has multiple feelings and perspectives. And Epictetus, who is a Greek philosopher way back in the day, uh, said this, It is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. It is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. The challenge that I see before us is that we have... Um, experts that are saying different things. We have non-experts that are acting like they're experts on things. Uh, we have uh, conversations that are polarizing one another. I've heard conversations even within our community that are, uh, you know, putting other people in boxes and, you know, saying, uh, you know, maybe some, some things that are being perceived as hurtful and harmful because people don't actually agree with your position or your perspective. And we find that even in our faith community, we have people on different sides of the spectrum. And my job, I believe, is not to convince you about what's happening in our world, to be an expert on the pandemic. Uh, I believe that my job is actually to keep our eyes focused on the main thing. And what unites us as a body of believers is not our perspective on a pandemic or how we understand the economy or what we think about mass or our opinions on education, our opinions on politics, uh, how we think justice ought to look and not look and how to go about that. Uh, that is not what binds us together. What binds us together is the death and resurrection of Jesus and the hope that he gives humanity. That is why we've come together. And the church has always been a place that has brought people of multiple, uh, from multiple places and spectrums and boxes and opinions together because these things are not the main thing. And so I started by talking about penguins. And I believe in that picture of the penguin, when, when we added humanity into the mix, and we, that, gave us pers that gave me perspective to actually understand uh, the reality of what a penguin was. Uh, and I think we cannot lose sight of two things, that are we were created to worship God, 
and that the main thing that we've been called to do, how to worship God, is to actually practically encourage, edify, and build up the temple of God, the body of God, the people of God, other human beings. In 1 Corinthians 13, I want to read this for you because I think it's so powerful. Um, And it's often known as the love chapter. It's read at weddings often, but it's, it's so timely. It says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have answers to pandemics and what's going on in our world, and if I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. There's, there's a There's a perspective of humility that Paul is bringing here. We only know things in part. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. We don't see clearly. Then we shall see. When Jesus comes back, we'll finally see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. And these, these, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love And the greatest of these is love. There's some things that only God can do. But there's a work that he's called his people to do. And that is for us to love. To worship him and to love one another. To build up one another. Regardless of which side of the spectrum we might find ourselves on. And I believe that when we add humans, when we start to see people who are created in the image of God as the work, the main thing that we ought to be about, it puts everything else in perspective and allows us as a church to respond and love each other and move forward in a time like this. Now that's penguins. Now let's talk about crabs. So uh, crabs uh, are interesting creatures. And if you know anything about crabs, uh, you know that they grow and they have, they, they, they have, they have shells, they, they take uh, they take residence in a shell and they, they put it on. Uh, and then as they're growing, uh, the shell does not grow with them. And so they have to move on to a new, sh- a new shell to have a new home. Uh, and there's, a, there's a, a painter out there that I follow. His name Scott the Painter. And, uh, you know, about seven years ago when I was on a sabbatical, we were visiting a church in Portland. And there was a guy named uh, Scott. Uh, and he was painting during the worship service. And I loved the painting. And I bought it there. I went to him and I said, hey, can I buy the painting off you? And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, you pay this for it. And so I bought it and it was like this big wooden uh, painting. And we put it in the back of the van. We didn't quite have space for it because it was after 30 days of road tripping. And so I remember Silas, our youngest son at the time. Uh, he's still our youngest son, but much smaller than he is now. The, the, uh, the wooden painting sat on his head in the back seat and he was just crouched underneath the painting uh, like so for 15 hour drive home <laughs> and so we have that painting in our living room right now um, and it was it was painted by Scott the painter but he he paints uh, what I would call you know prophetic paintings uh, paintings to challenge and encourage the church uh, and this is one of the paintings that I've seen uh, 
impulse a, a number of times. And it's the painting of a crab uh, with the shell of a church on top of it. And this has caused me to ponder a number of times of, you know, what is really going on here? Uh, he writes about this painting. It's painful to outgrow the form you've called your home for such a long time. We all go through some form of this hometown, our perspective, our religious practices. And religious practice is hard because all religious practice is about identity and where we feel like we belong. So when you feel the claustrophobia, the tightness, it's overwhelming to think this doesn't quite fit me anymore and you need to change in some way. But the wonder and the gift of transformation is this, awakening to the truth that the shell was never intended to be your home. The ocean was. The shell was never intended to be your home, the ocean was. And so when I look at this picture, I, I would even invite you to ponder and, and prayerfully look at the picture. What is God actually saying to us uh, even with this idea? And it's not a new idea. Jesus talks about new you know, wineskins, and I, I've talked about that as well. Uh, that structures, uh, the main thing and the structures in which we do the main thing are, are two different entities. The method and the mission are different. And so because of the reality we live in, our structures have changed. Our methods have changed. We, you know, we've gone to online. We've uh, we've had to switch things and, and I will guarantee you that change is not, uh, it has not ended. It will continue. It will continue. So the message that God had for his people in the book of Haggai wasn't just to do the work, but not to forget that they were a people of worship and justice. It's not about religious form. It's not actually about the temple. It's about being a light to the nations. And whether we have uh, services and gatherings here on Sunday or we don't, it doesn't change who we are and what we're called to. Uh, regardless of which side of that spectrum you might find yourself on, it doesn't change who we are and what we're called to. When we think about our group's ministry, when we think about kids' ministry, youth ministry, when we think about community events, uh, you know, those are all, you know, the structures and forms that those th things take have changed and they will change and they're going to continue to change um, and I you know on this vision Sunday I can't even tell you what church is going to look like in a month or two months or six months or next year or two years from now I don't even know um, but in some ways I don't think it really matters and the and the uncomfortableness that our season has caused us I think has really forced us as a church and the church uh, globally to say what are we about are we about the structure or do we recognize that our structure our systems our buildings our programs like those are just shells those were just vehicles that were uh, made sense for a season they were methods that helped us move forward the mission and maybe we're outgrowing our old systems and our old structures uh, and we're going to regather again on September 20th, and it's going to be great. You know, we're going to worship together. Uh, some people aren't ready to regather, and that's okay. And they might, not be re they might not be ready to regather. You might not be ready to regather for the next year, and that's okay. It actually doesn't change our, our mission. It actually doesn't change what we're called to do, what God's called us to do, to worship Him and to build up one another. I think it, what it does change is, is it's pushing us to say Sunday morning, that structure, that system is not the main thing. It's one piece of a bigger uh, pie. And I think in a time where we have so many people in so many different places, the way that we're going to be about the work that God's called us to be is to, to do a multiple, to have, a, to have multiple things going on because we have multiple people in our family and multiple people that God's called us to reach that are all at different places. And so whether we have service or not, whether we're, you're in a physical group or a virtual group, whether uh, you know, our kids' program looks a certain way, our youth program looks a certain way, um, you know, all of these things, 
you know, it doesn't really matter how it looks. The, the importance is are we doing what God's called us to do? Our commitment is to love God and love people. It's to worship God and it's to build up one another. The form that it takes is going to change. I can promise you that. It's, it's going to look and feel different on the 20th. It might look and feel different in October. It might look and feel different in January 2021. Uh, but the mission we've been called to has not changed. And this is uh, actually where I see a gift. So when I go back to the perspectives, the the polarizing reality of what is happening, I see a gift, the way that God is posturing us as a church to respond in this way. Because here's the truth, is that wherever you are at, somebody else is there too. Whatever uh, side of that spectrum you're on on any one of those things, uh, someone else is there too. Uh, whether you're ready to meet physically or not, someone else is there too. And the beauty of that is that within our church community, within our faith family, when we have people that are, have different perspectives, if we collectively keep the main thing the main thing, now we are positioned to encourage and reach and connect with people wherever they are at. But what it's going to take is for us to keep the main thing the main thing. What it's going to take is to take whatever your opinions and perspectives are on any manner of things and submit them at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord, and my job is actually to worship him and to build up other people. And I'm willing to lay down my perspective. I'm willing to, to actually lay down my rights. I'm willing to lay down my opinions as right as I think I am, as convinced as I think I am, because it's not the main point. You're, the main point is not to convince people that you are right, but the main point is to show people who Jesus is. And how did Jesus do that? He did it by loving people, by serving people, by encouraging people. Yes, by challenging people, but challenging people in the appropriate way at the appropriate time. So I choose to see the different opinions and perspectives right now as a gift and I would invite you to do the same. If you can demote your opinions, demote your perspectives into a minor thing, make them subversive to Jesus and make Jesus the main thing, I believe that God will use you and he's going to use our church. What I'm asking for is our, great, our, our faith family to be gracious with one another, to be patient with one another, to be kind to one another, to build each other up, to bless one another uh, as we you know, figure out what life looks like. And so as we relaunch groups in October, I would encourage you to say, what might it look like for me to lead a group given where I am in my perspective, my feelings on things? If you're not ready to, lead, to, to be in person with people, Great. If you're not ready to have people in your home, that's okay. You know, maybe you can do it at the church. Maybe you can lead a virtual group. Maybe what you need is social connection. You can lead a social group. Maybe you are missing worship. You could facilitate a worship time. Uh, you know, there's lots of different ways that we could actually come together and meet the needs of one another, but it's going to take everybody to submit to the leading of the Spirit and to the kingship of Jesus and to actually put our rights and our opinions uh, beneath him. Penguins and crabs. God's called us to edify, to build up one another because when, when we see humans, it actually puts everything else in perspective. When we recognize that that is the work we're supposed to do, that's the job we're supposed to do, it starts to make, uh, it starts to make, make, make more sense. Uh, and crabs, are you willing uh, to actually rethink and re-engage in constant change and recognize that the shell or what it looks like might be constantly changing? But our mission remains the same. 
that we're, we exist to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus. That we're going to worship God, we're going to love people. And it's going to look different, and that's okay. Uh, so be kind, be loving, be encouraging. I'm looking forward to this fall as I see how God is going to mobilize our people into the mission that he's called us to do, to do the work that he's called us to do. Blessings to you, Sun West. So 2,000 years ago when Jesus uh, called people to follow him and to be a part of uh, his, uh, the family of God and the kingdom of God, uh, he gave us a, a practice uh, that we call communion. You know, other traditions might call it the, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Um, but it is a place where we come back to because uh, Jesus said, uh, that his body was going to be broken for us, that his blood was going to be spilt for us. Uh, and, and, the, and he said, when you eat bread together uh, and you break it apart, uh, remember uh, what unifies you. Remember the hope that you have. Remember who you're following and, and eat it in remembrance of me. When you drink the wine together or your Welch's grape juice uh, together, uh, Remember the blood that was spilt, that this was the, the place where you were forgiven, where you were extended grace, where you were invited to be a part of something uh, bigger than yourself together. And so when we take communion together, uh, you know, it's like community and unity, like uh, communion. It is, the, it is the place where we are united. It is the thing that actually brings us together as a family. It is the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done. And I pray that we would not ever fall into the temptation of putting our hope into a country or a politician uh, or a specific agenda or, uh, you know, not that, not that those things aren't important and they, they affect all of us in different ways, um, but ultimately that's not where our hope lies. Uh, we're encouraged by C.S. Lewis. I was encouraged by C.S. Lewis in that, that quote to, to, where is your focus? What are you thinking about? Where are you putting your mind? Uh, and I'm choosing to worship Jesus. I'm choosing to follow Jesus and to choose to build up and edify uh, people regardless of the spectrum or the perspectives that they might be coming with. And so in our virtual time, it's been a while since we've taken communion together. We took it virtually at Easter and, it's, um, and I think it's time as I uh, consider where we are as a church, where a world is, uh, we need to remind ourselves again of the hope that we have, the thing that unifies us, uh, and to come together uh, wherever you are in your, in your living room, wherever you're watching and participating, and, and be mindful that it's not just you individually doing this together, but us collectively declaring that Jesus is our King and that we're following Him and that it's His grace and forgiveness that has brought us together into the same family. And so with that in mind, I would invite you to, to take the bread or whatever you might have available to you uh, and to eat this in remembrance of him and what he has done. And I would invite you, um, and when I say you, I'm talking individually, collectively, as we do this together, um, to take the juice or the water or whatever you might have uh, available to you and to drink it in this moment in remembrance of what he has done uh, 
and the blood that was shed for you and for me uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for a hope that is beyond uh, hope that this world can offer. I thank you for uh, eternity and how that gives us perspective in this moment in history. Lord, I thank you for this family that we get to be a part of, to follow you together, to live out uh, in, on mission together. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep the main thing the main thing. We thank you for your blood, your blood that was spilled, your body that was broken. Uh, we thank you that what binds us together in unity is your grace. Uh, it is your lordship. It is your uh, forgiveness. It is, uh, it is the kingdom of God that you've invited us to be a part of. And Lord, the kingdom of God that necessarily means that we lay down our rights uh, and that we acknowledge that you are king. And so we uh, confess where we've made minor things main things, uh, where we have uh, pushed the other away because they don't share a similar opinion or perspective. Uh, and we uh, together declare that you are Lord, that you are the King of Kings, um, and Lord, that we uh, live our lives in service to you. Um, and we thank you that you are the source of all life. And so, God, would you change our perspectives? Would you give us peace? Would you uh, do the things that only you can do? Fill this world with your peace, that your, that your spirit would come uh, more fully, that your heaven would come to earth as it, as it is in heaven. And, Lord, may we have clarity on what it means to do the work that you've called us to do as we encourage and edify and build up uh, and, and proclaim, uh, you know, your goodness and what you have done for us. And may we be people of light. Uh, in a world that desperately needs it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And lastly, I just want to end with some going deeper questions um, that might be helpful for you as you dive uh, deeper. Have you had that penguin experience where your previous held perspectives have changed? Have you ever made a minor thing a main thing? I've done that so many times. Uh, what was the result when, when that's happened? Uh, read 1 Corinthians 13 again. Read it more slowly and ask, how does this maybe apply today where, where we are? When you look at the picture of the crab, what do you think about? What might that mean for us today? What is the difference between method and mission? Do you see examples in the church or outside the church where method gets confused with mission? What is the result when that happens? And then lastly, how do you engage with loving God and loving people at SunWest from wherever you are? And so I hope you hear me. I'm not asking you to change your perspectives on those things. I am asking you to put your focus on the main thing, which has actually brought us all together anyways. Uh, and so given wherever you are, what does it mean for you to love and worship God and to play a role in, in building and encouraging others? Uh, and I believe that as we step into that and as, as we start services and, and, and people, need to, uh, people will need to, to serve in maybe ways and places they haven't served before. You know, we got people... Uh, you know, that aren't ready to come back to services, but they were helping lead certain things in services. And uh, people that are, uh, are needing to stay home for various reasons that are going to need encouragement and need to be built up where they are. Um, you know, would you lead a virtual group? Would you, would you volunteer in a place you haven't volunteered before if you're, you're ready to, to be uh, with other people? Um, you know, what, 
where are you and what does it mean for you to love and lead where you are? Um, and so I invite you to pray about that, consider that, uh, and I trust that the Lord is going to orchestrate beautifully like only his spirit knows how uh, as we seek to honor him and serve him wherever we are. Um, I believe it's going to bless and encourage and edify uh, other people in our family and the communities around us. And may that be so. Uh, praying for you, SunWest. Uh, looking forward to seeing some of you in person next weekend. Thank mm -hmm. you.